The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Many of the disciples of Jesus said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you that do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who those were that did not believe and who it was that should betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. After we celebrated the feast of the English martyrs, I reread through the Pope's address that was given on that day, and it's very beautiful to see. And, but one of the lines that really struck me was the fact that he points out that the two mysteries that they essentially gave their lives for were the Petrine principles, so the mystery of union with Peter and with Rome, and also the Eucharist, those two great mysteries. And so they all offered their lives for these mysteries because these are the mysteries of unity, right? The mysteries of unity. Christ himself in his presence and then the papacy by which doctrine, authority, and discipline are all pulled together into union. And as soon as there is any separation from those, as we have seen, it only leads to more and more increased division, right? And so these two principles of unity then are also what we've been focusing on providentially in God's providence in the readings which also surround the feast of the English martyrs. And so today we see these two mysteries played out in a very beautiful way. In the first reading we have uh, St. Peter who has, as we have pointed out, post-resurrection, he has maintained that central role amongst the apostles and he takes in a certain sense in the those last chapters of each of the Gospels, that central role again of that point of union for the church to gather around after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then throughout the Acts of the Apostles, he maintains this position. He is also this authority that is sought in the Acts of the Apostles. He makes that definitive statement at the end of the Council of Jerusalem. And so we see him here as well, acting in the power and in the person the Lord is actually working through him. He has the authority of Christ. And so he heals in the same way that Christ healed. Or it is more true to say that he, Christ heals through him in the same way that he healed in previously. And so as Peter is walking through uh, Lydda 
what happens is, is that he comes across this paralyzed man and he simply, as Christ did, speaks to him. But he also, in his words, acknowledges that he is not the source, that he is an instrument of God, but that Christ works through him in a particular way. He is the vicar of Christ on earth. And so he speaks to this paralytic and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. An acknowledgement that he is not the source, but also the faith to know that Christ works through him with that same power. Rise and make your bed. And immediately those words are effective. Immediately the power of Christ is manifest. And what happens is he is healed. And not only that, but that work of healing is also then carried on through word of mouth. People are all speaking about it in that place. And many are being converted to God. Now also there was at Joppa another of the disciples, Tabitha. And we can see that not only does Peter have the power to raise a paralytic, but also to bring back from the dead. He has this power of Christ working in him. Christ operates through him. He simply speaks again after he has prayed, acknowledging again that he is not the source, but he is the chosen instrument of God. And so he kneels down to pray to the source of all power and grace, to the source of life, life himself. And afterwards he stands up and he speaks, turning to the body, Tabitha rise, very simply, and the power of Christ is manifest again. And she comes back to life. She is lifted up and everyone rejoices because she is presented alive and many believed in the Lord. And so the Lord is permitting these miracles through his church so that the doctrine that the church teaches is accepted, that the authority with which she teaches is accepted, so that the source of the power which heals is also the source of the truth which the church teaches. And it is these difficult truths that the church does teach, they come from Christ, having no less difficulty to accept them at his, at his time as also when the church proclaims them. And so in the gospel, we are brought again to these essential two mysteries. We are presented with Peter, who stands on the part of the church and speaks on the part of the church, but also with the central mystery of the Eucharist, which the Lord is speaking about, the gift of himself, feeding his church with his own body, with his own blood. And the people respond to this and they say, this is a hard saying, difficult. In some translations, it says intolerable, intolerable. They can't tolerate what the Lord is saying. And yet this is one of the greatest gifts that he is giving, the gift of himself to his church, his presence. There's a beautiful line in the book of Revelation. It is when all of the saints are seen surrounding the altar and the Lord is on the altar, the lamb is there. And it says they are protected by his presence. His presence is their protection. In the shadow of his presence, is where they find consolation and protection. And that mystery is not simply something of heaven, it is also of earth. The Lord leaves us his presence. He is with us as our protector and defender. He is with us as the point of union, the one around whom we gather, the one around whom the mystical body receives his physical, his actual body, and is united. And so Jesus, knowing that they are murmuring, he immediately again brings a stop to the murmuring. Do, not, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense? 
And then he goes on to say, have you not yet truly considered who I am that is speaking these things to you? They've seen his miracles. They've heard his preaching. They've followed him. They should believe what he says based solely on who he is. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He was referring to his divine nature, who he is, the Son of God. What is interesting is that when we were learning in terms of philosophy at, at, at seminary, arguments for truth, the claim to authority is one of the weakest in every other discipline except for theology, right? So if you were trying to teach a truth in school and you were to say, two plus two equals four, now that is true, but your reason cannot be to say it is true because the teacher says so. No, that's not true. It is true because it is true in and of itself. But in theology, that changes. The argument from authority becomes the strongest. It is true because God told us it's true. It's true because Christ said it, right? And that is what makes it true because he is truth himself. Other things are only true by participation, but he is truth himself. And so when he says that this is what is given, what we are to receive, what we are to consume, we believe it based on that authority and the authority that is then continued through his church to teach these truths. The words that I have spoken are spirit and life. They are truth. And what happens is with also great sadness that many of his disciples drew back because they no longer believed him. They no longer believed the truth that the Lord spoke. And so also for us, these words, it says, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. That is the reality if we reject the doctrine of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. If we do not believe that he is present in our minds, then our actions will also draw away from his presence and we will also move backwards and no longer follow him, no longer be close to him. But if we do believe in what he has said, that this is his body, his blood, well then that belief begins to take shape in our life and our actions begin to manifest that belief. Actions of coming to Mass in order to receive Holy Communion. The continued action of Eucharistic adoration where the mystery of the Mass is prolonged and intensified. This is, these are the actions of those who believe the Lord. And we pray for those who have walked away from these mysteries because these mysteries are the greatest gift that God has given us, the continued gift to us of his Son. And these truths are held together within the church under the governance of Peter. And so when the Lord turns to, his, to the twelve and he says, will you also go away, addressing all of them? But Peter answered him, it says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who else can we go to, Lord, that has more power than you? You are God himself. Who else can we go to that will speak more truly than you? You are truth himself. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen.